Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. My name is Brandon Fong, and I'm beyond excited to have you here, whether you are a new friend or an old friend. Today, you and I get to hang out with an amazing human, Nick Hutchison. One of my favorite quotes, it's from an Indian monk, Gorgopal Das, and he says, it's not happy people that are grateful, but it's grateful people that are happy. Gratitude is the input, it's the action, right? It's a verb, and we need to focus on it. Happiness is the lag, that's the outcome. What an epic quote. I love that. I've actually decided to make 2024 the year of abundant gratitude. And at the time of this recording, Nick and I recorded this at the end of 2023. So really excited about all the amazing stuff. I know you're listening to this well in 2024, if you are listening to this in the episode order. But anyways, let me tell you a little bit about Nick. Nick is the visionary force behind Book Thinkers, a thriving seven-figure marketing agency bridging authors and readers. In just over seven years, he has cultivated a platform reaching over 1 million people monthly, and he hosts the top 2% global podcast, Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books, featuring interviews with renowned authors like Grant Cardone and Lewis Howes. Nick's platform and services have empowered countless authors to reach millions of readers, driving substantial revenue growth. His services encompass video production, podcast booking, and social media brand building. With a mission to inspire readers to take action, Nick authored Rise of the Reader, delving into mastering reading habits and applying newfound knowledge to un- lock potential. Guys, there is so much to look forward to in today's episode, but as always, I have three specific things I would love for you to look out for. Number one, right in the beginning, we talked about how Nick actually uses tattoos as what he calls play bigger triggers to reinforce positive behaviors. And we talk about how you can tap into this unconventional source of motivation yourself. Number two, we dive into how Nick connects with big players. I mentioned some of them, but Nick has interviewed people like Brian Tracy, Peter Diamandis, Ryan Holiday, and Evan Carmichael just to name a few. So because Nick and I are both really passionate about this topic of really going from reading books and enjoying people's content to actually learning directly from them. So I was really excited to hear some of Nick's perspectives about how he was able to build a platform and connect with those people that come on his podcast. And then number three, Nick shares his time capsule strategy to help you radically increase your gratitude and appreciation for life. Really excited about for this one. I'm actually going to be implementing it all of 2024 and I'm going to committing to that on the podcast because I'm super excited about it. And of course, I'm going to just sneak in a fourth one. But the whole concept of this entire episode is about not only how do you read more, but how do you actually implement what you read? So Nick shares a bunch of actionable strategies about implementing and doing things like setting implementation intentions before you start a book. These are all really powerful things that if you are a reader but wants to squeeze more juice out of those books and actually start implementing them, this is going to be an incredible episode for you. So enjoy this incredible episode with my new friend, Nick Hutchison. Nick, my friend, welcome to the show. Beyond excited to have you here. This is going to be a blast, my friend. Brandon, I'm excited. Can I ask you the first question today? Oh, shit. He throws me for a curveball right <laughs> at the beginning. Do it. I never, never before done, but let's do it. I have no idea what you're going to ask. <laughs> well, listen, we are at the end of 2023, at least when we're recording this. I'm not sure when it's coming yeah. out. And so as you think back to 2023, what were a few of the best books that you read? Oh my gosh. Uh, man. Um, I think the easiest one that has had the biggest impact on my life is 10 X is easier than two X by Benjamin Hardy. So, uh, I, he sent me a pre-release copy. I read it. I joined his challenge when it came out and, uh, was grateful to have been selected as one of the challenge winners, but going deep, implementing those concepts and, upgrading my my vision for myself to my future self and making decisions from my future self to the present moment. Uh, I, I think I'd, I've read it actually three or four times this year. That's how impactful it was for me. And I, I, that's, I don't do that that often. So very, very good. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm currently listening to that book, funny enough. And I'm equally as excited about implementing it. So uh, I can't wait to apply some of those exercises and strategies and mindsets and frameworks to book thinkers, my agency yeah. in 2024. So cool pick. Just uh, yeah. I'm literally listening to it right now. It's a radical, it, it's definitely a complete mindset shift. I know in your book, you talk about paradigm shifts and it's one of those ones where you kind of got to get 
comfortable with a whole new type of thinking. So it pushes the comfort zone on so many different things. So it's one of those ones that I found that like you can implement, but you got to like let it sink in over time. So yeah, we could probably, t- I'm reading power versus force right now too, which has been a mind blowing one. one for me. So I'm, so I'm sure you and I could probably just talk about this whole interview about different books. <laughs> um, but, but, but uh, if, if it's okay, I'll ask the first question that I wanted to ask now, which Thank is totally- Thank you for indulging. Can, yeah. yeah, no, of course. That was a, that was cool. I might, I might steal that on another interview, but um, uh, I want to talk about tattoos. So um, let's talk about either one, two, three, or reality is negotiable. I think that would be a really fun introduction to you and how passionate you are about this kind of content. <laughs> sure. Yes. I use tattoos as play bigger triggers. And what I mean by play bigger trigger is an environmental cue that I pick up every single day and it reinforces the behaviors that I'd like to implement in the person that I'm becoming. And so one of the ways that I implement play bigger triggers is by tattooing sort of like positive affirmations on my body. And I have 30 plus tattoos, maybe even 40 at this point. But on my left wrist right here, for anybody that's watching the video, I have the numbers one, two, and three tattooed on my wrist. And... I decided to get this tattoo because years and years and years ago, after reading Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, I realized that successful people have some form of gratitude or mindfulness practice that they've implemented and and they go through consistently. And so I started journaling three things that I was grateful for every single day. And as that became part of my routine, what I noticed was that throughout each day, I was looking for things to be grateful for so that the next morning I could write about them, right? So now I'm filtering for opportunities to be grateful. And that transformed literally everything in my life to the point that I decided to get the numbers one, two, and three tattooed on my left wrist so that every single day, no matter where I was, if I was out of my routine, it didn't matter. I would look down, whether consciously or unconsciously, and I would see that tattoo and be reminded that gratitude is the default path that I, I should view the rest of the world through. And I'll kind of end this tangent here by saying one of my favorite quotes. It's from an Indian monk, Gaurav Das. And he says, it's not happy people that are grateful, but it's grateful people that are happy. Gratitude oh. is the input. It's the action, right? It's a verb. And we need to focus on it. Happiness is the lag. That's the outcome. And uh, man, gratitude is such a great way to start a podcast. Hell yeah. And for those of you that are listening, Nick has got a gratitude t-shirt on right now too. So I love that. And I did (laughs) gratitude growth. What's the third word on, on there? Giving. Giving. Okay. Good stuff. No, I love that. And, and gratitude to me, I've been really deep on this. So I did this project um, a while ago and I'm continuing it into 2024, but uh, my wife's birthday was actually our due date. And so I knew that her birthday was going to get kind of not the same because we couldn't really plan stuff. And so months prior to that, I started writing 10 things that I was grateful for her specifically every single morning. And I love that gratitude practice, especially when you have to go to 10 and especially when it's only about one person, because like you said, you really have to look for those really granular things. And I just noticed myself over and over and over again, being in a moment, like just walking with her outside and and holding her hand. It's like, this is something I'm grateful for. And it's like the, even if it doesn't make it into the journal the next day, it's that it's, that's the benefit is that you're looking for it. And when you realize it in the present moment, obviously the, the, I found the forcing function of writing it down to be really cool, but I'm just going to, I'm going to yes. And one thing, one thing here that I think is really cool. I tried this last week. So I have a friend, Andrew Kaplan, he gave me this exercise and I heard about it, never did it until it occurred to me yesterday. So I'm curious if Nick, you, you can maybe play around with this, but what he does with his gratitude is he'll write down things, um, five from the past, five from the present and five from the future. And then what he does is he mixes them together and then reads them out loud. So you have things that are yet to come mixed with things that have already happened and things that you're grateful for right now. And it almost kind of completely shifts your reality because the st- you're seeing the stuff that already happened right next to the stuff that is yet to come. And I found that to be a really cool way to kind of change the gratitude practice up again. So I, I don't, I'll toss that out to you to see if you might experiment with that. But I, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, that that's really cool. I have not experimented with that. I have played around with future affirmations, but not through the lens of gratitude specifically yeah. or mixing them into my current or past. So that's really cool. I'll share two other things that I do regularly that the audience might find interesting. Number one is that 
at Book Thinkers, my agency, we use Slack as an internal communication tool, and we have an entire channel dedicated to daily gratitude. And so, again, we're recording this in late December. I have expressed gratitude in that channel for 350 days so far, whatever the number is. And I love not only expressing it to my team and getting to tag them sometimes and express gratitude for them, but also see what they're grateful for on a regular basis. Not everybody uses it every single day like I do, but most people do use it a few times per week. And so I get, again, I culture of gratitude. I mean, it's one of our core values in the business. And so it's cool to consume that. The other thing that I've done talking about the past is I, re I record a weekly gratitude time capsule. I was so just going to ask phone. about that. So oh, go you for were? It. Yeah, I, no, I seriously, I was like, let's go here. So I'm glad you went right here. So go, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I pull out my phone and I record a one minute recap on the best things that happened in the last seven days. I do it every single Sunday and it will sound something like this. Hey, today is Sunday, December 24th. And in the last week I'm grateful for, and I'll just talk for a minute. And sometimes it'll be accomplishments within my relationship, my business, my health, happiness, a book that I was reading, something in my family. I might celebrate a win of somebody else, whatever it is. And uh, sometimes I'll also talk about what I'm excited for in the next week. And so I upload those videos every single week to a Google Drive. And in the future, I can condense an entire year's worth of gratitude into under an hour, right? Mm -hmm. 52 one-minute videos. And so even today, I, I suppose from time to time, I will click into... 2020, because I've been doing this for a few years now, and I'll just click into a random week and I'll watch what I was grateful for. And it's funny because we change, we evolve. And so things that I was excited for or things that I was grateful for, maybe I've forgotten about them. And anyway, it just brings some positive energy and juice into my present moment. So that's how I leverage the past gratitude. And I'm excited to share those one hour recaps in the future with my future self, my family, yeah. uh, anybody, maybe social media. They're so cool. Hell yeah, man. Well, I know one of the things in your book was like, uh, your word is your bond. I forgot exactly what you use, but I, I will commit to you, Nick, that I will do that because I, I love this idea of the, the visual component. Cause I do daily journaling. And so I do it in a spreadsheet. So I just created my 2024 spreadsheet. And so when I journal at the end of the day, I can actually go back to 2019 and see what I was doing on that day. So it's like, but this to me seems like a much more like a live version of that. And I find myself not reading it back as much as often, but I feel like, especially for me, if I, cause my first thought is like, let me strip that and turn it into an audio and I'll listen to it like periodically throughout the year. So I love that. That's so cool. And I'm, I'm glad that you took us there. So we already went to some, some really cool places already. We barely even got started. So I, I want to kind of go back a little bit because one of the first words out of your mouth was play bigger triggers. And um, I think you learned that from Evan Carmichael, which I saw in the book. And you've been just transformed by so many incredible mentors in your life, which I saw Evan was one of them. But I want to kind of go back to one of those early mentors that kind of set you down this path. So talk to us a little bit about Kyle and the impact that he made on your life. Sure. Well, it might surprise anybody that's listening or watching today that I was not much of a reader growing up. So I am an author today. I read 100 books a year. I have an entire agency built around author book marketing, uh, an entire community where I interview authors and share book recommendations. But when I was growing up, I was more of the athlete stereotype, not really much of the academic. And so you couldn't pay me to read a book uh, or do my homework when I was, when I was a teenager. Uh, and all of that behavior stayed with me through most of my college experience as well. But it changed when I was going into my senior year of college and I took an internship at a local software company. It was a sales internship. And where I was staying that summer was about an hour away. So I was commuting one hour each way, five days a week. My boss, Kyle, at the time, he was the director of sales. I think he saw some unfulfilled potential, right? In this know-it-all sort of cocky, a little bit arrogant, 20-year-old sales guy. And he started to take to take me on some local sales trips and he would listen to business podcasts. And that was new for me. I mean, I didn't know anybody reading these books or listening to shows where successful people were being interviewed. And he basically said to me, listen, Nick, listening to the same song or the same playlist or the same radio station for the 300th time, it's not going to get you closer to where you want to be in life. 
but listening to the right podcast might. And so on your commute, you should consider listening to shows like this more often. And Kyle is a fun guy. He was, uh, at the time, I was very focused on having a good time and partying, and Kyle still did a lot of that while also balancing personal development. And so I dove right in. I started listening to all sorts of shows, and very quickly, I realized that so many of the successful people being interviewed, they were giving at least some credit to the books that they had read for their success, or they had written books themselves, and that's why they were being interviewed. And so I just I realized at some point in that in that first month or so that if i was deliberately choosing not to read these books i was also deliberately choosing to live under my potential and that didn't sit right with a competitive know-it-all type of guy right so i went to my local barnes and noble uh and the rest is history like i said i've been reading 50 to 100 books a year ever since let's talk about that barnes and noble moment because i know that was kind of like a shifting moment for you where you literally kind of went from non-reader to reader in that moment so talk about like that day in the barnes and noble and what happened there for you yeah well i was i was hourly at this internship hourly plus commission and so i only had a one hour window to go to barnes and noble and then back to the office and it was probably a 15 or 20 minute drive each way so i walked into barnes and noble with a list in hand i think i had five books on it And I walked over to sort of like the business personal development section. I was still kind of shy and insecure in different ways at that age. So I, you know, somebody probably asked me, Hey, do you need any help? And I was like, no, I'm fine. So I went over to the section and I was just amazed at how many books there were written by so many different successful people. Most of them I had, I didn't recognize about subjects I didn't even think about improving in my life. I found all the books that I wanted and I grabbed five or six more as well. So I walked to the cash register with probably about 10 books. And I remember thinking as a broke college student, like $200, right? 10 books at 20 bucks a piece. That's a lot of money to spend on something that I've never even tried before. Something that I laughed at a couple of years ago and now I'm shifting my identity to this brand new thing. But I had so much trust in it just because the proof was in the pudding. There were so many successful people being interviewed on these podcasts, giving so much of their credit to these books. I just, I don't know. I felt like a calling to it. And instantly I felt like this entire new world of potential opened up for me that I was previously unaware of and closed off to. So anyway, as I approached the cash register and I started going through the process, I felt uh, I felt great. I felt a lot of energy. And I remember the cashier asking me if I wanted to sign up for a discount card, a membership card. And I thought, you know what? A reader, right? A successful business person, they'd have a membership to something like Barnes & Noble. So yes, absolutely. And not only did I get a discount, but it, it solidified that behavior, that new identity for me. I am a member of Barnes & Noble. I am a lifelong learner. I am a reader. Jim Quick says those are the two most powerful words in the, in the English language. I am. And so I'm like, I am this new thing. And uh, it, was a, it was a really cool experience. I've actually, I went back to Barnes & Noble and I've emailed their customer support and I've, I've gone through my account history and stuff, trying to get that original receipt because it would have been so cool to print in the book. I still have the original books, but uh, unfortunately that receipt is long gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so good. And it's so powerful because I, you know, at the time this is recording, I actually just released an episode today that I did with my seven week old daughter. And like, that was one of the takeaways that I shared with her because I did this whole new format where I was sharing things I've learned from her and things that I want to share to her. Um, and, and one of the things that I think has just been a theme for me throughout this year is nothing, nothing happens until after you commit. That's actually something that came from 10 X is easier than two X. Right. And it's like, I just committed um, as of a few days ago and I, it's, it's starting next year, but I committed to be a part of Maverick Next, which is this n- new membership for entrepreneurs under 30. I'll begin to go to Richard Branson's Necker Island in March, but it's like making those commitments at, at like, they're never comfortable, right? There's always that point where it's like, oh shit, am I really going to do this? Am I taking on a new identity? Am I making this leap? And you never... I don't know, Nick. Like for me, it's like, I don't think you ever fully get used to it because you're always going to keep doing it. And there's always that like next level, but you can become more familiar with the emotions and the process of making that upgrade. But I think what you touched on is so powerful. The fact that it was like an identity upgrade when you shift to that, I am a blank. It's, it's a fundamental shift that, that changes everything after the fact. And so um, I love that you had that moment in the Barnes and Noble bookstores that, that kind of set the catalyst for who you are today, which is amazing. Yeah. And, and just like you, I'm, 
I sort of think about my purpose as enjoying the passage of time. And for me, that means enjoying the present moment as much as possible. Now, that doesn't mean I'm sitting back on the couch, just kind of like, whoa, in a Zen state. I mean, for me, in order to create joy in the present moment, I have to be making progress. I have to be slightly uncomfortable. I have to balance that line between too much and not enough. And that's where most of that, that progress happens. And so just like you, I will infinitely be upgrading myself every single year, every single month, every single day, whatever the case is. And, uh, but that creates presence. It creates joy. Like I, it is my identity. I am that person. So yeah. of course it's going to happen. And when you, you know, like it, it, it makes me think a little bit about failure too. Like when you expect failure, it doesn't surprise you. When you expect discomfort, it doesn't surprise you. It's just yeah. part of the process. A hundred percent. I love it. And it's funny, Nick, as I, I read the book and I went through kind of some of your other stories and your trajectory, it's, it, it was kind of eerie because I think you and I followed like the same exact path where it was like, I uncovered podcasts and I was studying abroad for the first time when I listened to podcasts. I was like, what is this stuff? Like, <laughs> like, what is this world that exists? And then, and then like you, like started reading some of the books that they were recommending. And then eventually what happened for me, the next big leap was going from podcast to books to learning directly from the people that create the content. And so I thought another thing that would be really powerful to dive into prior to kind of getting into some of the, the content inside of your books is like, you've developed some incredible relationships with mentors. And I know you talk about in the book about borrowing credibility and the impact that it's made on you to be seen with all these high level people on your show. We're talking like Brian Tracy, Evan Carmichael, Robert Green, Grant Cardone, Peter Diamandis, like those are some big names, right? And so, you know, being the guy that was just an athlete that never thought he would you know, read a book <laughs> or learn directly from these people to now spending time with them. I'm just kind of curious if you can unpack a little bit about how you think about building these relationships that have really transformed your life as you've kind of like gotten to know the content from the people that created them directly, directly from the source, I guess, is what I'm trying to find out. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, my, my views on this have changed and evolved over time, but once I realized that attention was a valuable currency, right? The more attention you had for your podcast, for your social media content, for your business, the more money you could make. And as a result, the more people you could serve, right? If you have a great business and you're giving back and you care about impact, there's a loop there. Bob Berg and John David Mann in The Go-Giver, they talk about the reciprocal relationship between giving and receiving. When you give a lot, and then you open yourself up for receiving a lot, you have more to give. And it's like this beautiful cycle. And so attention is a valuable currency, impressions on social media, downloads on a podcast, subscribers on whatever. And, uh, you know, early, I would say kind of early into my experience, I realized that as I was reviewing books on social media, some of my favorite authors, they were commenting on the content, they were reposting it. They were following the account. They were viewing our stuff. And I thought, you know, I'd love to have follow-up conversations with a lot of these amazing authors. I have follow-up questions from these books. And so these people are starting to become accessible. I They see my messages. They comment on my stuff. I wonder if they'd sit down for a conversation for a podcast. And so that was the first time that I really started to collaborate, I think, with a lot of these big personalities. And so, yeah, just like you highlighted, I think Grant Cardone was episode number nine on our podcast. Russell Brunson was like number two. Jim Quick was number three. We had a lot of amazing people right up front. And Evan Carmichael of all, Evan was episode number one. Evan sort of encouraged me to start the podcast too. Uh, He's been an amazing mentor. Evan said something to me. I don't remember if it was online or offline where he said, Nick, use my name. I'm like, what do you mean, Evan? He's like, use my name. Every single time you reach out to an additional prospect to have them on your podcast, use my name. If they follow me on social media, that could move the needle 1%, 10%, 100%. They might see that you've interviewed me and automatically say yes and bypass the whole due diligence process. Okay, Evan, well, that's pretty interesting. All of these amazing people follow you. Let me try it out. And so one of the great lessons that I've learned as a salesperson throughout my software sales experience and then running my agency is that great salespeople are a surgeon with their words, meaning surgeons don't make extra cuts while performing surgery, right? It's unnecessary. Salespeople shouldn't use extra language when prospecting. It's unnecessary. And so I started to reach out to people and I'd say, hey, congratulations on your upcoming book. 
I'd love to interview you on my podcast and help promote it. We've recently interviewed authors like A, B, and C, and I would insert people that they follow. And then I would say, here's a link to book, make it super simple. And I would always use, again, names that I saw they followed. And that idea came from Evan. So the underlying kind of method behind this of borrowing credibility is that trust is transitive. So if you trust Evan, and I can show you that Evan trusts me, you're more likely to trust me as well. Again, trust is transitive. And so I started to use that familiarity piece to bypass due diligence with all sorts of amazing people. And I would just work my way up. I would compound my way up to people whose time is worth $100,000 an hour like Grant Cardone. Once you can say Grant Cardone trusts me, everybody else falls in line. Or Peter Diamandis trusts me. Everybody else falls in line because nobody's time is worth as much as theirs. There's a really interesting kind of, uh, I mean, the entire thing is a very interesting life hack. If you want to work with very difficult to reach people who charge $100,000 an hour for coaching, start a podcast, interview their friends, and they'll work with you as well. Now, you also have to exchange value. You have to be of service to those people. And uh, there's a great book called Blue Fishing by Steve Sims, where he talks about sort of the art of value exchange. And you don't always have to be exchanging the same currencies. And so for somebody like a Cardone, I'm giving him access to an audience of young professionals who need to learn sales. And I give him the freedom to sell whatever he wants on my show in exchange for a half an hour of his time. And then I have to persuade him that that exchange is worth it. In fact, he wins, right? And uh, anyway, so those are some of the mechanics behind how I view prospecting for the podcast and working with brilliant people like that. I'll wrap the tangent uh, by saying that I do view podcasting as the best first date. So if you want to work 100%. with Grant or or Peter on something else, you have to provide value first. You can't just show up and say, marry me on the first date. You have to go on a few dates first and get to know the person. And podcasting, like you just uh, confirmed, it's it's a great first date. It's a great way to get to know somebody, to provide value, to compliment them, make them feel like a million bucks. And then at the end, schedule your next call. Yeah, 100%. There's so much. And I, I want to zoom in here because I think this is this is hands down. If I had to pick one thing that's transformed my life, it's definitely podcasting. It's it's having a platform. And like you said, too, it definitely builds over time. I'm grateful to say I have this like three minute audio clip now of like all these power guests saying like it was the best show that they've been on. And like that, that opens so many doors. It's not even funny. Right. So like, I just, I, I'm not saying this, to, hopefully it doesn't, this doesn't come across as like egotistical or anything like this, but exactly like what Nick is saying is like, you, all you need is that first domino. And like, once you start building up those dominoes, it just goes so much faster and you can open so many doors. But I, I, I want to, and by the way too, Steve Sims was episode 63 and 64 on my show. Literally one of my favorite guests, Steve is, Steve is brilliant on that stuff, but I want to, I want to zoom in for, let's say for someone right now that doesn't have a podcast and they haven't started, they don't have any of those big relationships yet. Maybe they've had a, they've had like a, a mentor at their job. Like kind of when you shared your story about Kyle before, but they haven't learned from like an Evan Carmichael or something like that before. Maybe we can even use Evan as an example. Cause I think you said he was episode number one. Like when you were kind of starting out, when you didn't have all the following yet, when you didn't have a podcast, when you didn't have your own book and all these other people, like what are some of those keys that you saw in building those relationships earlier on? Cause this is a question I get asked all the time. So I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, it's a great question. I did build a social media audience in advance of starting the podcast. Okay. So I had a little bit of something to sell people in those early stages. You know, I let me think of the right way to phrase this. When I was first starting the podcast, I would just highlight the size of my Instagram audience and tell people that I'd repurpose clips from the show and put them on, you know, in front of my Instagram audience. Nobody ever asked me how many downloads I had. They just cared about that, that piece of content that I was going to deliver for them because it would help sell books. So I suppose my piece of advice there is you have to provide value and you have to make that value as simple as possible. Russell Brunson, one of his great lines is a confused customer always says no. So don't no. say, hey, Brandon, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I'm just starting it, period. Well, that doesn't provide much value, right. but Hey, Brandon, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I know you're super interested in this subject and I'd like to do a deep dive on that. My audience over on Instagram or YouTube or wherever 
uh, you know, is insatiably curious. And I know you can help them kind of solve that curiosity by talking about X, Y, and Z, like be specific, be personable, be relatable, sell them on the value. And then again, using that domino effect that you just highlighted a great book to cover the domino effect is the one thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. And it talks about that momentum of step number one. And that domino eventually could be the size of the Eiffel tower, like Grant Cardone or Peter Diamandis, and it will fall down when you have enough momentum, but get started. I'll, I'll also throw one other recommendation out there, which is Gary V's book, Crush It. It's an older book. It's 10 plus years old now, but in that book, he talks about the power of one and you never know who's in the audience. If you have one person listening every week, week in and, in, and week out, that's value. You're providing value to another person. You never know who that person is. It might be somebody who wants to invest in you or start a business with you. But if you stop podcasting because you only get 20 downloads per episode, they were going to reach out on that next one, right? You're always three feet from gold. And Gary has some great perspective in there around just the power of one, helping one person. That's what truly matters. Super last thing is Tim Ferriss is sort of a podcasting mentor of mine from a distance. He doesn't know who I am. Not yet. At least I don't think he does. <laughs> Uh, but I love Tim and Tim talks about start a podcast that would provide value to you, even if nobody listened to it. hundred percent. And I think that was one of the greatest lessons for me is follow my own curiosity. Don't just create sound bites for the audience, but ask what you're interested in. Use it as a personal mentoring session, right? One that you're not paying for. And uh, that'll help you kind of stay in the game long enough to provide value and, and build an audience. Yeah, I love that. So many powerful things. Hit that back skip a few times and go re-listen to that. And I think it, it, it is intimidating to think about all the things and like you need to have it all figured out, but like literally no one ever had to figure it out when they got started. So just get started, you know? And I, I will just say one final thing on this <clears throat> that I've just observed is that as you create that momentum, I know you talk about Mo in your book, but like one of the biggest assets that I now own is the relationships that I have with my guests, right? So like, that's another thing that starts compounding is like, not only have these people come on my show, but I can open doors and make introductions between these kinds of people. Um, and that even if like, like, let's say the podcast got no downloads, but they kind of see that the kind of people that are coming on, that is a massive way that I always highlight when I reach out to people is I love connecting my guests. If we can find alignment on what that is. And that is another huge, huge thing because these people understand the value of relationships. So love all that. Thank you for sharing some of your perspectives, but I, Nick, I want to, I want to dive into some of your content. I got, if I, I'm not using video right now, I know Nick, you'd probably kick me in the butt for that, but I got a copy of uh, Nick's book. I'm holding up rise of the reader. And I'd love to dive into some of your insights on here. And I want to dive into like one of the earlier things that you share. And again, another thing that you and I overlap on that we're both really passionate about, but you kind of have this towards the beginning of the book is defining your purpose and how that has kind of helped unlock lots of things. And I think this is a touchy subject because there's so many different ways of talking about this. And I think that there is a case to be said that like, this idea that it one day you you define your purpose and like the angels sing and you you know suddenly what you're supposed to do instead of it being kind of something that is constantly constantly evolving and growing but regardless this topic of finding that thing that serves as your north star as you're pursuing your goals that helps you make more effective decisions it's one of those foundational things that whenever i have someone that has done this work on themselves or teaches other people about it it's just one of those things you can't ignore because it has downstream effects on everything that you talk about. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about your journey and how you kind of have uh, have come to understand what your purpose is. When I first started Book Thinkers, I didn't know what my purpose was. I just, I was excited. I was reading these books. I knew they provided value. I didn't really have the language to articulate it yet, but I just started. I just, I wanted to figure it out. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what my purpose was, but I just started. And then over time, as I started to consume these books and learn more about purpose and different structures for defining it, I would go through these books and these exercises. Some of them would resonate, some of them wouldn't. So I've read books like Start With Why by Simon Sinek, and it didn't do anything for me. But then I read a book like Built to Serve by Evan Carmichael, and I follow all of his exercises, and I'm like, whoa, I can now define my purpose. So there's two things that I'll say on this subject for the audience. Number one is that you don't have to have a pre-existing passion in order to develop a purpose. And here's what I mean by that. In Brian Scudamore's book, WTF, Willing to Fail, he says that sometimes, actually most of the time, your purpose 
comes from consistency, not the other way around. So again, people think, oh, you have this pre-existing passion. That's the only way that you'll be able to stick it out and build a business. Not true. I started reading these books when I was 20 and I started my business when I was 21. I'd only been reading for a year, but through consistently reading without a pre-existing passion, just basically from necessity, I was able to develop a passion around reading. And then I read Evan Carmichael's book, Built to Serve. And Evan has all these great exercises in the beginning of the book, things that are kind of goofy, right? That you might pass over if it's your first time through the book. Who's your favorite teacher? What's your favorite movie of all time? How do those relate to your purpose in life? But as I went through those exercises and as I started to define my purpose through his framework, who, why, how, a light bulb went off. So I'll give kind of my answers. Who is again, your one word, right? For me, it's action. For me, it's progress. Those are kind of my two one words. And um, Evan says that your purpose comes from your pain. Well, that's my why. You know, when I was in my teens and early 20s, I suffered from a lot of anxiety and social situations, but also from an ego that would represent itself at the expense of the people around me. I was too competitive, too aggressive sometimes. Books helped me overcome those problems. And that's why books have become my purpose. I love helping other people make progress and take action in their lives by connecting them to the resources that they can use to go out there and do that, to motivate them, to inspire them, to create discipline and forward momentum. And so again, who, why, how? My who, that's my one word. It's progress, it's action. When I make progress or, or when I take action, I'm fulfilled. And when I help other people do it, I'm fulfilled as well. Why? Because your purpose comes from your pain. Books helped me overcome these problems. That's why I get so energized around it today. And then how, how can change, right? So. Right now, it's through Book Thinkers, my agency, it's through my podcast, it's through my book, Rise of the Reader, it's through podcast interviews like this. There's so many different ways that I can help other people and I can make a positive impact. So my purpose is to help other people make progress and take action. And I was only able to define that after consistently playing around with tons of different books in the space, um, tons of different frameworks and methods. And by reading for a while, right? So I wasn't passionate about this when I was younger. And I think that's where people get confused sometimes. Hopefully that was in some way, shape or form uh, coherent and people could 100%. follow it because I know there were a lot of words tossed around, but that's how I think about it. And the, and the last thing that I'll say is that now that I'm able to confidently articulate my purpose and define it for other people, helping other people make progress and take action by connecting them to the right resources, other people want to work with me. They're like, this guy knows exactly what he wants to do in life. And that makes me more approachable. It makes me easier to work with. Other people can collaborate with clarity. And so I do think it's important to try to figure this out as early as you can in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Oh, oh man. So, so good. Again, back skip, go re-listen to some of that. But I want to highlight a few things that stood out to me that I think are particularly salient. The one was when you said purpose comes from consistency, not the other way around. I've heard this concept. I think I first heard it from one of Ben Hardy's books. I don't remember which book it came from, but then I think James clear talks about it in the topic habits of like casting votes. And so I love that. I love that permission that you just gave is that it doesn't have to be something that you've always done is like your mind takes account for what it sees you doing, right? And so it's like, if you start doing the things you start to, again, going back to I am, right? I am that I am. It's like, you, if you see yourself, if you cast it enough votes in a particular direction, it can form. So I think that you're, it, it's definitely something that it evolves over time, or at least it has for me. And it, maybe it'll continue to evolve or get more specific and more clarity. But um, like you said, that on that last thing too, I had this conversation with uh, Randy Mullen last week. I don't know if you come across him, but he's got a company called Go Big to Give Big. You guys would hit it off. I might have to introduce the two of you guys. But um, one of the things that he does that's kind of been a paradigm shifter for me is like at the end of every call, he rates the call by the energy level that he got from it. And I've heard of that before, but the, the, the mind blowing thing for me was, um, basically his scale is, is uh, negative one, zero plus one plus two. I think there's, there's a negative two, but he's basically like, 
I only play with plus two people and plus two people will introduce you to other plus two people. And he's like, I'm not concerned about worrying about the kind of introduction that a plus two person is going to make for me because they're a plus two person themselves. And that's an observation that I've started to make is that as you fall into your purpose, as you know who you are and what you want, like that's the kind of plus two energy that other plus two people love to surround themselves around. So it's like that it's, 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 it definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I, I don't like using the word woo woo, but for lack of a better word, woo woo, like people culturally talk about your vibe. Like, I don't like your vibe or I like their vibe. So it's like, it's culturally accepted, but like when it like, it's literally a thing, your vibration, your energy. I think that my philosophy is that when you're in alignment with your purpose, when you know what you want, you have that energy of just playing at that level. That's when you're going to start to attract these kind of people, which kind of goes back to what we're talking about connection and like the other people that you can build relationships with. It's like, they resonate with that energy and they can, they can hang with that energy. Whereas if you haven't done that work on yourself, it's kind of hard to hang with that energy. So anyways, that's my yes ending to all that. And I, I resonate hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I'm a little woo woo like that as well. I think that certainty creates a higher frequency because if you know what you want, you're a dangerous person, right? Yeah. Most people, hopefully I don't get hated on for saying this, but most people are sheep. Most people, they go day to day. They're completely absorbed by social media or Netflix. They hate their jobs. They hate their spouse. They hate their kids. They hate their lives. They hate their bank account. They hate their health. And they're not willing to do anything about it. But once you once you do have that positive momentum, you become a force of, of crazy energy, you know, and yeah. people like it. They're attracted to it because they they want it. They want more of it. They want to be around it. And I'm on a mission to help everybody wake up by connecting them to these books and getting them to sort of lift the veil and, and become aware and focused and driven and not live a life of regret. So I have a lot of empathy for those people because I was them for a long time, right? I Before the age of 20, I have no idea what I was thinking about or doing in my life. And um, But I want to help everybody wake up to their potential. And again, when you have that certainty, you you carry a different energy. You walk around in a different space. You know, it's magnetic. And I've been around a lot of people like that. And it it pulls you in the right direction. It really does. It helps compound your momentum when you define your purpose and you can state it with confidence. One million percent. I I let's continue going down this rabbit hole a little bit in a slightly different way because another thing that we can kind of get into some of your philosophies on reading and implementing what you learn because you're all about you just heard his purpose is helping you to take action and move forward and so this isn't about go reading a hundred books because you can say you read a hundred books it's about how do you actually make this stuff come alive in your life right and so one of the things that uh, stood out to me is something I could definitely do better at that I was like oh I need to make sure that I'm doing this now is you know, we talked about your life purpose, right? But you can also set like micro purposes in the moment for what the purpose is that you're doing. And uh, one of the things that you talk about is setting smart goals, like a, an intention or a purpose for reading a book. Like that's maybe slightly different than, you know, what your your whole overall life picture is. But like, why are you reading this particular book? So I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit about setting smart goals before reading a book and how that's impacted you as, as you've read all these hundreds of books. Yeah, well, when I first started reading personal development books, I had no idea what I was doing. I would just pick up a book, who knows where I found it, and I would read it. And I would hope that it would change my life. And sometimes they would, but most of the time they wouldn't. So as I started to consume all this different material and attend events and stuff, I realized that when you set an intention, a very specific goal for something, magic starts to happen. We need to be more intentional. And so as I would attend events, personal development style conferences, I would set a goal for myself. I'm looking to find three ways to improve as a speaker. And I would watch the speakers through that lens, right? Not just consuming everything and taking it down in my notebook and putting the notebook away and never touching it, but setting a specific goal. Or I'd say, I'm looking to meet three or four authors at this event so that when I bumped into somebody, I could share that goal with them. They might connect me to an author in the room. So I started to become more specific. And then, you know, we've all learned the SMART goal framework, but I started to apply it to the events I was attending and then eventually the books that I was reading. So let's go through an example with 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Instead of just reading the book, because both of us have talked about it right after you finish this episode, and I'm speaking to you, the listener, um, set a SMART goal for the book, set an intention for the book. SMART is an acronym that popularly stands for 
Uh, S is specific. You need to have a very specific goal. M is measurable. As Dr. Well, as Peter Drucker, the legendary management guru says, what's not being measured can't be managed. So you need to set a goal that's measurable. You need to know whether or not you've achieved it when you're done. A stands for attainable. You need to set a realistic goal, something that you know you can actually take action on. Otherwise, you'll become discouraged and you'll fail to take action, right? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, not in one bite? R stands for relevant emotional connection, but also stands for written. You need to write that goal down somewhere. And then T stands for time bound. Now in the book, I talk a little bit about I, right? Intentional. So you need to add a little bit more emotional connection to the goal. You need to juice it up a little bit. So when I'm looking at 10X is easier than 2X, that's a book on growing your business. And so I would set a goal like, well, I just set a goal, find and implement at least two strategies for 10Xing my business book thinkers by the end of January. That is specific. It's measurable. Did I find and implement at least two things? It's attainable. I didn't say 10X my business by the end of January. I just said, find and implement at least two things from the book to 10X my business. It's that I write that goal down on the inside cover of the book. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I am emotionally connected to it and time bound by the end of January because I just started the book. Now the, the magic here too, is to say, because, right? Add the word because at the end of your intention. Find and implement at least two ways to 10X my business book thinkers by the end of January because I care so much about my business. And the bigger my business is, the more people I can positively impact, the more money I can give back, the more generous and um, philanthropic I can be, the more authors I'll be helping, the more positive I'll make social media. And so all of that extra emotional connection really ties me to taking action on that goal. So what I'll do is I'll take that, that intention, I'll write it on the inside cover of the book, or in the case of an audiobook, I'll write it on a sticky note, I'll write it in the note section of my phone, and I'll review it every single time I'm going back to the book. That might mean chapter by chapter, that might mean a couple of times if I have a long reading session, but I'm reviewing that intention for the book, that SMART goal, so that I can tell my brain what to filter for. We have this beautiful function, the reticular activating system. It's our brain's natural filtering process. And so by sharing our goal with the book or audiobook, then the audiobook or the book can share the information that you can take action on back with you as the reader or listener. And that has helped me take so much more action from the books I'm reading. 100%. I love that. And I, it's just become more prominent to me. Like there's two big dials that you can take anywhere. One is the questions you ask and two is the the lens that you view things through. Right. And so like, yeah. it's, it's like a really finite lens that you just put on to, to like everything that you're doing. And so I love that. I I'm going to make sure that I'm implementing that because it's just, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you put a lens before every chapter that you read to make sure that it's matching with that intention that you have. And that's just so powerful. Uh, I love that. Absolutely. And I think, well, like you said, this will probably come out way, way later, but especially right now when we're talking about heading into a new year, I love that idea. Uh, another, another concept on, on reading that I thought was really powerful too, is another thing you talk about, about when you can, when you're allowed to skip a book, how, how long you have to read before you're allowed to skip a book. Cause I think this is probably something you get all the time. It's like, Nick, do you read every single book you read cover to cover? And like, how do you feel about that? And, and so I, I think I, I definitely lean towards making sure that you're taking what's important out of it. But obviously um, there's, there's a, there's an argument for both, but I love this rule of 100 that kind of helps people filter through this kind of stuff as well and making sure they're not spending time on books that don't serve them. So I would love for you to share that one too. Yeah, when I first started my reading journey, I would read every word of every page, including the dedications, the forewords, the acknowledgements. <laughs> I mean, I read every word of every page because my goal was to finish books, 52 books a year, 104 books in a year, whatever the number was. And that's what I considered a finished book. And then over time, I started to shift more towards taking action. My goal was to take action, solve problems, build skills, satisfy curiosities. And that doesn't always require finishing a book. Finishing a book is a vanity metric. Reading every word of every page, who made up that rule? I don't know where it, where it came from. So I think that my mindset really started to shift when I heard Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday talk about this idea of the rule of 100. 
that you take your, you take the number 100, you subtract your age. So I just turned 30 a couple of days ago. So hey, happy 100, birthday. I didn't know that. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. 100 minus 30 is 70. I have to read at least 70 pages of each book that I pick up before I can decide whether or not I'd like to continue with it. And the idea is that the older you get, the less you have to read because the wiser you have become. And I really like that rule. You know, I think it was Ryan Holiday that said in that interview, life is too short to read bad books, right? Ryan thinks a lot about the idea of death, that you don't have enough time to read every great book. So why waste your time reading bad ones? Especially if you pick up a book to solve a specific problem and you realize that it's not going to solve that problem, right? If I was listening or reading to 10X is easier than 2X, and I realized halfway through the book that I'm not going to be able to implement any of these strategies because there's they're not talking about anything actionable. And in fact, the book is about something totally different than what the title suggests. I now have permission to put down that book, whereas before I didn't. So yeah, I think it's important uh, not to read bad books. The other kind of underlying philosophy here that I'd like to give everybody listening, because I don't know if, if everybody's currently reading and consuming a ton of books, is that my philosophy, which I didn't include in the book, I don't think, but I should have, is that when you're first starting your reading journey, I think quantity is more important than quality. I think you should just read about everything. Read about every little subject that you can find. Read bad books. Who cares? You're you're learning. You're building a foundation of knowledge and understanding. But as you start to consume more and more and more books, you start to understand the world of personal development and business books and how they're written and what authors you prefer and how you like to take action and what problems you're looking to solve. Then at some point, quality starts to become more important than quantity. Um, so yeah, there's kind of like, don't worry too much about all of the rules in the beginning, just read whatever. But then yeah. again, as you become a more mature business person, quantity, reading great books that solve specific problems, that becomes the goal. Yeah. It's so funny, Nick. I think like I haven't, I think you're probably the, I'd say the only person that I met that, that like quotes and has very specific references to, I feel like you and I, have, I'm always doing that. I'm like, this person said this one thing from that one book, or I heard this from there. So it's like literally every single time I'm thinking, so I'm going to make a reference to something that is addition to this. And I think I got it from Tim Ferriss and it was just in time information versus just in case information. You will retain information. This goes back to like the intention, but like you will retain so much more of the book, if it is 100% relevant to you and you can implement it right away. But I agree that when you start out, you don't have that ability to discern quite yet, right? Like you have to kind of go all over the place before you can start to build that muscle of discernment. Um, but I've found that that to me is also just a great lens is, is this something I, it is immediately irrelevant and I can implement it. Cause if you look at our whole education system. It's all based on just in case information. One day I will use this thing. So that's why I'm taking this class that I don't really care about. And then hopefully it'll become relevant. Whereas like you put this lens on it right now, it just changes the game on so much of it. So I love that. Um, let's, let's, there's like kind of a few more that I want to make sure I specifically ask you and then we can kind of start maybe winding things down, but like, you're all about helping people take action. Right. And so, um, I think that's like one of the most important things about reading these books is actually moving forward into it. And I know you have a whole implementation framework. We won't have time to get through all of it. So I'm just going to kind of jump to a specific point of it that I think is the most relevant and something that I've created in some elements of my life that I think is super important, but that is finding lead measures and adding it to an activity tracker. So I know we're kind of like just skipping right to the middle of a, a fr of a framework but would would you mind sharing a little bit about lead measures and activity trackers because i think that's like uh really really powerful sure i first started to play with activity trackers when i read the compound effect by darren hardy and darren hardy talks again about this idea of measuring your activity one percent improvements and how they compound over time and as i started to think about the one percent improvements i could make in my life which were coming directly from books, at least the inspiration for them, they were coming directly from books, I started to use an activity tracker and a, a Google sheet. And I also built an accountability group on the back of this with a couple of my friends. And we would each look at each other's activity trackers and we would compete to have the highest completion percentage and stuff. But I still use this today. I mean, every single day, I have it open on my other monitor right now. I'm always 
looking to execute against the most important things. And I find those most important things through the books I'm reading. And I put them directly into an activity tracker and I measure them throughout the week. And I use that as my compass for my activity. Otherwise I would just default to who knows what social media and all sorts of things like that. Um, so again, having a place to document what you're implementing and a way to measure your activity to know whether or not you're achieving your goals. And if those those uh, lead measures, right, the activities that you have control over, if they're actually producing the lag, the outcome, that you're, the results that you're looking for, I think those are really important. So like there's a famous example, well, famous, there's a, a commonly referenced example for lead versus lag in sales. So a lot of people say, hey, I want to do $10,000 this month. Well, that's the result of other activities. You don't have control over the, the outcome, right? That's not a directly influenceable activity that you can crank up or crank down. That's a lag. It's an outcome. But what produces sales? Well, cold calls, cold messages, cold emails, sales calls, your pricing structure, all of those things produce the outcome. And those activities, you have control over those. So you can then create a relationship between a lead and a lag. For every 100 sales calls I make, I sell $10,000. Well, if you're behind on your goal, you can crank up the number of calls you're making. And as a result, you know, influence the lag. So anyway, in the book, Rise of the Reader, I give a, a link where people can get access to a copy of my activity tracker, at least the one that I was using when I wrote the book. And that you can make a copy of it yourself and kind of play around with it like I do. No, it's, it's funny because I could tell the implicit, what you're implying is the fact that it probably already changed. Because <laughs> like for me, yes. <laughs> I have the same thing. I have, a, I have a spreadsheet I call the spreadsheet of life. I, I just set up the 2024 spreadsheet of life and it changes on a, I don't know, weekly. It used to change a lot more, but like it, it's constantly changing and adapting to make you better. But I, I love that. And I think it's super, super important to remember that small thing is like identifying the inputs um, and not the outcomes. Then obviously like there comes a moment where like, hey, maybe this this indicator isn't getting me towards the the outcome that I'm looking for. But like if you haven't, if you haven't done it enough and like actually tracked, if you've done the thing, you can't actually say that it didn't yield the results. Right. So like, I feel like it's a, a really powerful accountability framework as well. Um, that, that just kind of makes sure that you're, you're tracking what works for you so that you can discard what doesn't. So I, I love that. And, and I had another thing that I think was really, really relevant, uh, towards the end of your book, you talk about paradigm shifts. And so it's so funny, it's becoming so apparent how many core values were aligned here, but one of my core values I call uh, conscious storytelling, um, which I, I it, you talk about in your book is Amor Fati. So I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit about that because I think it's really important too. Yeah, Amor Fati translates to a love of one's fate. It's a concept from Stoicism as well as Nietzsche. And it, it basically says that you should view the world through the lens that nothing is bad. In fact, it's neutral or maybe even good. Is everything happening around you good, right? Everything outside of your control. And I've been living my life this way for a number of years now. I actually have an Amor Fati tattoo now on my arm, and I got it tattooed in Italy um, because that's that's a Latin term. I got it tattooed in Italy last year when I was visiting Rome. And um, I love stoicism so much. And so, again, I, I try to view everything in the world through either a neutral or a positive lens because that serves me the most. I think that we all have an opportunity to view the world through the lens or perspective that serves us the best in the most positive way possible. And so all of these things that are happening that are outside of my control, it doesn't serve me to view them in any type of negative way. And I'm talking about anything. I'm talking about bad weather. I'm talking about uh, international conflicts. I'm talking about you know illnesses within the family. I'm talking about everything. There is nothing bad. Right? It's it's our reaction to every input that determines whether or not it's good, bad, or neutral. And so why not view everything as good? And it sounds kind of twisted until you start to practice it and you start to realize that, oh yeah, you know, through every trial or tribulation, there is a lesson. And so why not start to look for those as early as possible in the experience? And, you know, when an input hits your brain, why not twist it around and make it positive so that your reaction to the input serves you it doesn't hurt you so that's how i view yeah. it a hundred percent no i i that is that is pretty much how i define conscious storytelling it's like our stories are the medium of our realities and we get to choose the stories that we tell ourselves right you can choose yeah. the stories that you tell yourself internally and you also get to tell change the stories that you share 
externally out loud with other people, which I feel like kind of ties into our earlier part of the conversation of like sharing your goals and your purpose and that kind of stuff. Like those are mini stories that you're telling, right? But like that creates your reality as well because new stuff comes in as a function of that. And then, you know, life hands you something shitty. You just have the opportunity to recalibrate and make it serve you in the best way possible. So I, I think it's probably one of the most empowering. I think it was Einstein that says one of the most important decisions that we can make is whether we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. Uh, I might not get that exactly correctly, but like it is literally one of the most important things. And you get to choose which world you live in depending on how you're viewing the filter through everything. And so I, I think it's literally one of the biggest decisions that you could ever make. That's going to change the future of everything. Yeah, me too. And there's momentum to it. So at first it will be difficult to consciously like change your story into a more positive story, but eventually it becomes the default, right? Neuro-linguistic programming is something I talk a little bit about in the book that you can rewire a default and so an input comes to your brain and you might have to consciously fight for a little while to rewire it into a positive way. But I mean, today I just, everything is positive. I don't think anything has disrupted, you know, my energy or flow in the last couple of years, even terrible things, because it's just, I view the world through a positive lens. Why wouldn't I? I view everything yeah. in that way. And I have too yeah. much momentum to think otherwise at this point. Yeah. There's a, I think I've shared there's a bunch. I love this like little mini story, but it's essentially like there's two kids that walk into a room and they see floor to ceiling. It's covered in cow poop or whatever poop you want to talk about horse poop. And one kid is just pissed and is like, what the heck is going on? And the other kid just starts diving into the horse poop. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like with all this shit around here, there's gotta be a pony in here somewhere. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, we always have that chance to be that kid that's digging through the poop. Right. Because even if it is a crazy situation, you can, you can, make it serve you in, in a really powerful way. So I love that. Uh, Nick, this has just been so fun. I know our time is kind of coming to an end here, but um, I, I would love to ask a question that I love asking guests and we can find out about uh, where we can grab a copy of your book and other good stuff. But uh, one of the things I've just loved asking people is how has curiosity impacted your life? If you wouldn't maybe mind sharing some of the ways that curiosity has influenced you and how you show up in the world. Yes. Uh, I am a student of life. I am infinitely curious and curiosity has led to a lot of growth, a lot of progress. You know, I'm always asking why, right? In, in the first book I ever read, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, he says, there's a big difference between I can't afford that or how can I afford that, right? Instead of judging people in a negative way, ask, how can I get access to that money, that body, that headspace? Be curious, always be curious. And uh, yeah, I guess that's a great ABC right there. Always be curious. And I've applied that to every area of my life. And the funny thing about personal development and reading these books and interviewing these people and starting a business is that it's all very humbling. I mean, every single time you read a great book, you realize there's an entire universe of knowledge and understanding and mastery that you were previously unaware of. And that's humbling. Um, every time I read a new book, I realize I know less about the world than I previously thought I did, but I'm curious. I want to figure it out. And there will literally never be a point where I know it all. And that's what makes it so great because I love the process of learning. It's not an outcome thing. It's a process thing. And yeah, it's cliche, but the joy is in the process. Right. And, uh, I love it. I love it. So that's what curiosity means to me. That is beautiful. You are definitely a beyond curious human. And I love that. So uh, where can people, if they are interested in learning about how they can take more action, if they want to dive deeper into some of the concepts we talked about, even at the end of your book, you give over a hundred healthy, happy, well, healthy, wealthy, and happy habits you can start implementing today. So if you want like Nick's spark notes of all of the crazy experiments that he's done as a result of reading the hundreds of books that he's read that's in here. So obviously anyone can go grab a copy of Rise of the Reader. I'm sure you can grab it on Amazon, but tell, tell us a bit about where we can find out about you and your journey and continue to follow all your magic. Sure. Well, Brandon, if anybody in your audience is like, hey, I now view reading and implementing personal development books through a different perspective, but I still don't know where to start. And they don't want to read Rise of the Reader. You can always send me a direct message on Instagram at bookthinkers. That's our most vibrant and popular community. And tell me about a problem you're facing or a skill set that you want to develop or something that you want to learn more about. And I'll provide a custom book recommendation to you. So that is our, again, our kind of most vibrant place. And there are links in our bio to the book and all sorts of other good stuff from there. 
Love that. Amazing. I love doing that for people with podcast episodes too. It's like, Ooh, who, 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 how can I share a podcast episode that changed your life? And I, I love that. So yeah, go hit Nick up and DM him and ask him for a book recommendation. And you never know like him and he can filter through all the thousands of books he's read and diagnose your pro you're like a, a book doctor. Yes. <laughs> this is, this, this will solve your problems. So go check that out. But really quickly, I'm going to have a conversation with you listening right now. And I could, I just want to say, I am so grateful for you. I, I shared earlier and Nick shared earlier about how podcasts changed both of our lives, right? Like it was listening to podcasts and getting to know the guests and starting to reach out and starting to learn from the books that really sent a domino effect. So there is something in here that can absolutely change someone's life, right? And I say that with 100% sincerity and maybe it's you or maybe it's a friend, but like something as simple as like learning about some of those play bigger triggers or we talked about gratitude in the beginning about having one, two, three as a tattoo that Nick has. Like there's something that's super important there. Maybe it was learning about setting an intention ahead of time about reading a book before you or setting an intention before you read every single chapter or some of the other things we talked about, about like bar, reaching out to and developing relationships with these people. There's so much in here that can change people's life and you, and you have no idea. So my ask is that you just take a second to share this with one friend. You don't know the impact that it can make. And um, you, you just never know, maybe it'll impact somebody down the line that you never even hear about, but you're creating a cascade of impact and greatness by sharing this. So that's my ask, but whether you choose to do that or not, or not I'm so grateful for you being here. And Nick, any final things you want to say before we head off today? Life is amazing. It doesn't have to be so hard. There's a great book to solve every single problem that we face. So go find them. Mike drop. Appreciate you, Nick, brother. We'll talk to you very soon, my friend.